0: this stage of my career, I recognize that there always are trade-offs to consider, and there's almost never a clear answer of, this is good work and this is bad work.
1: Welcome to the fourth episode of the RISE podcast. This is Julia.
2: And this is Kanyu Priya. And we're your hosts. Today, we're interviewing Aditi Singh, an associate partner at Dalberg Advisors, a leading consultancy focused on international development and social impact. Aditi has been with Dalberg for six years now and leads their work in skilling and livelihoods. She is based out of the New Delhi office in India. Thank you so much, Aditi, for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful to be here. So first, we wanted to just start off by learning more about your education. Where did you go to university and what did you study?
0: So I studied law at a university in India, and this was back in 2005. So that's been a while
2: And what made you
0: choose law? So I was always interested in public service and followed kind of a meandering path. So I did take science after high school, but then I realized law was what I was passionate about purely because of the public service element to it. Uh, And therefore I ended up studying law and I was always interested in debating and looking at issues of both political as well as the public interest. So that's, that's primarily the reason why I ended up studying law.
2: Got it. And then when you were in law school, what did you think you would want to do right after? So were you thinking of going into a service-driven field or were you planning on practicing corporate law?
0: So, So because I was driven by an interest in engaging in public service, I think the idea was always to work somewhere which allows me to fulfill that interest. So whether it's a not-for-profit organization, not whether it's, let's say, a foundation that focuses on human rights slash humanitarian laws. The initial idea was to to work on one of those areas, but I did end up doing corporate law right after law school, and purely because it was just a much easier opportunity to come by, and it's much harder to break into a purely public interest-driven field.
2: Yeah, and we see that all the time, you know, across fields where it is so much easier to sometimes do corporate jobs. Did you enjoy that? And do you think you could have gotten to where you were today if you hadn't worked in corporate law?
0: I did enjoy my time there. I didn't end up spending a lot of time because I realized that it was not what I was fundamentally interested in. So I did that for a year and a half, but whilst I was there, I did enjoy my time purely because there's a lot of rigor and intellectual uh, stimulation that you can still experience in a corporate setting, and and those are just some skill sets that are pretty transferable no matter where you go. If you're if you're trained and thinking in a rigorous fashion, I think that helps you no matter where you are. So in that respect, yes, it did help me. But I realised pretty early on that this is not what I wanted to do with my life.
2: So when you realised that corporate law wasn't for you. How did you figure out what it was and what were your next steps?
0: Yeah, so I didn't have a very clear idea, again, of, you know, even if I was interested in, let's say, working for the UN, how does one even go about looking for an opportunity there, breaking into that field. So I ended up taking another easy route, which is doing a master's and hoping that the master's would give me the sort of access to networks that you need if you have to break into a pretty informal and and bureaucratic field. So it's it's not really easy to get an opportunity with, uh, let's say, an international organization or a multilateral foundation. So I ended up doing a master's and because I had a legal background, I ended up doing a master's in law, but I used my master's. essentially to just gain more exposure to what kind of opportunities exist out there in in the public interest just slash social impact sector. Ended up cross-registering for a lot of courses that were focusing on human rights and development. And yeah, and and that's how how I ended up finally entering the field.
2: And so once you graduated from law school, I know you worked at Dalberg right after that. Could you talk about how you got to Dalberg? And then also for people who don't know, could you maybe briefly introduce Dalberg?
0: So maybe first to just introduce Dalberg, we are a strategy consulting firm and we essentially work exactly like a mainstream consulting firm would, but we focus on issues that pertain to impact. And we work for a certain set of clients that are interested in creating a meaningful impact on a whole range of issues, whether it's livelihoods or education or access to water and sanitation, et cetera, et cetera. In terms of how I ended up coming to Dalberg, It wasn't immediately after law school. So after law school, I again realized that the fact that I had a purely legal background was somewhat of a hindrance in landing an opportunity in the development sector because typically they're looking for people who either have uh, technical expertise and in some of the areas that I just spoke about, livelihoods or education, and they've they've just been working in those sectors for a while, or they're looking for let's say somebody who's who studied economics or just some kind of expertise or domain experience that I just lacked at the point so I actually struggled to to find a job so I ended up taking on a research fellowship and i focused on uh, understanding the financial needs of uh, marginalized communities in developed countries so i fo- I worked in that for a while and then somebody, told me about Dalberg and said that because they sit at that juncture where not only are they a social impact organization, but they are also more accepting of people with a diverse set of backgrounds because they are a consulting firm and they are looking for some general consulting uh, toolkits. So as long as you're good at problem solving, as long as you can speak well, as long as you can en- know how to engage with different stakeholders in different settings, they uh, you still might have a shot there. And that's how I ended up applying to Dalberg and, and fortunately did uh, get in great that was
1: very interesting and it's also interesting the fact that you said that with your background you couldn't really do an immediate move into the impact world but you took on this this fellowship first and then you learned to dalberg but with your law degree what were the main skills that you are actually using now at dalberg and in which sense you found useful your background which was a little bit diverse and more unique in a consulting firm and how are you putting into practice
0: That's a great question. I think that being a lawyer does give you access to certain skill sets that are helpful no matter where you are. The foundation for legal degree is your ability to structure, your ability to think logically and present your argument logically. And I think that translates very, very well into a consulting setup as well, because at the end of the day, you're trying to organize a problem statement in a way that's understandable to other people. You're trying to give them a certain set of solutions that are logically defensible. So I think that really helped. And then there are, you know, general skills that that are helpful anywhere, the ability to speak, the ability to work in a team, because even as a lawyer, you are supposed to work in large sets of teams. And I know that the usual impression is that if you're a lawyer, you're used to working in very adversarial environments, but there's also a deep sense of collaboration that is needed. So the fact that I already worked in larger teams and knew how to get work done as a unit as opposed to individually, that really helped as well. Even as a lawyer, you're engaging with clients on a day-to-day basis and you're trying to understand how do you get different parties to agree to create some degree of consensus, etc. So, so I think all of that helped a lot. The think that was not present just as a lawyer, was just the ability to deal with numbers or cultivate a strong set of quantitative skills. And that's what I lacked the most. And that's where Dalberg has been really useful.
1: Yeah. So maybe let's just help some other lawyers out there. If someone with your background is really interested about impact, what do you think are the options that they have to actually do something that it's impactful, what would have been other options besides Dalberg for a lawyer to get into something like social impact enterprise or responsible business?
0: If you're somebody who is fundamentally comfortable or passionate about law and is okay to continue as a lawyer just in a different environment, so let's say not in a law firm, but working with a social enterprise that focusing on the right set of issues, but you still act as their in-house lawyer, I think then opportunities are plenty. So, for example, you could work with the World Bank, you could work with their legal division. They have a program where they hire people right out of law school. You could work with a lot of startups that are looking for an in house lawyer to support them with both ethical as well as purely legal concerns. So, those opportunities always exist. But for people who are looking to move out of law and focus on development as the core of their day-to-day work. That's when it gets a little bit tricky. Also, consulting firms, of course, are a great way to break into the sector because, like I said, they're just more accepting of people who do not have a certain sort of uh, domain expertise. I think beyond that, some of what you've done might translate into another setting. So, for example, at my law firm, I was practicing financial regulation And through financial regulation, I ended up making a foray into financial inclusion and started to look at how do you promote financial inclusion for marginalized and vulnerable communities. And from there, I moved on to, okay, what are the other developmental needs of such communities? How does access to financial services translate into meaningful livelihoods? So so there's parallels and connections that you can draw based on what you've practiced. As a human rights lawyer, again, it becomes easier for you to break into the social impact sector as well, because development and human rights are kind of like two sides of the same coin. Uh, So you can craft a narrative based on what you've done earlier and draw some linkages and use that to to break into the sector essentially. But yes, it's it's tricky.
2: And I think the theme of connecting the dots and what you're now working on, which is what experience you've gained and what you've been interested in, is something we found from a lot of people. And of course, each path is different. But one of the things we started off in your introduction talking about is how you lead the employment and livelihoods work at Dalberg. How did that come about? And where can you see reflections of that earlier in your career? Yeah, so at the
0: beginning of my career, at least at the beginning of my development career, because I I was focusing on financial regulation and then financial inclusion, my initial work ended up looking a lot more at, uh, again, access to finance. And that's what I ended up doing for the first six months to one year. And as I just continued working in the field, I I realized that there is a bigger question at hand here. Like, It's not enough to create better access to finance if that doesn't translate into livelihoods, because you can give unparalleled credit to people, but if you aren't creating livelihoods for them, they're not going to be in a position to pay back. So you are creating a bubble. And no matter what service, no matter if it's health or education, as long as None of that is translating into people then being able to find a livelihood for themselves and chart, let's say an intergenerational path out of poverty. the impact that you create is going to be minimal. And with that thought, it was a deliberate decision to start to look at uh, livelihoods a little bit more closely, make sure this this is how you or this is how you create access to credit, this is how you promote better health services. but how exactly do you help people? find a meaningful livelihood opportunity so it was it was just a question that i had been grappling with for a really long time and i ended up seeking out projects and engagements that were specifically looking at that problem statement and then in the last couple of years it's just come to become the big question of our times what is the future of work? we can already see that there just aren't enough jobs out there for people. How do you help marginalized communities gain upward mobility? How do you seek out more job creators? How do you help them create that opportunity? I think it was more of a question that I was really interested in. And then the star civil line, then a lot of players are now starting to look at that question very deeply. So it's been fortuitous in a way.
2: Yeah. Through this work, did you feel that there was an impact moment or like an aha moment for you where Whatever you're doing became worth it, or you saw the value of what you were doing.
0: It's hard to say in a in a consulting setup, to be honest. Like you can be satisfied with the, the quality of advice that you've given, but there's almost never a guarantee that it will translate into a real outcome, and you just you just have to be okay with that. But that being said, the one instance where I did see our advice translated to something tangible was uh, creation of the. Global Alliance of Mass Entrepreneurship. And essentially, we were pushing this idea that the kind of entrepreneurs that, let's say, India is creating today are people who have been forced into entrepreneurship because they don't have access to another opportunity. These are subsistence-level entrepreneurs that aren't really creating sustainable income month to month, but they don't know where else to go. And our question then was, how do you create the right kind of entrepreneur, an entrepreneur who is actually interested in being an entrepreneur who has a growth mindset, who is going to create opportunities for others, hire more people, grow. And we brought together a coalition of stakeholders from very, very different environments, international foundations, impact investing organizations, private sector, and and GAME, the alliance now has taken off and it's working with state governments to catalyze A culture of entrepreneurship. It's very active in Delhi, Punjab and a few other states. And the focus is really to both cultivate an entrepreneurial mindset as well as seek out people who are actually likely to be successful entrepreneurs and give them a set of tools and give them the guidance that they would need to actually translate that into a successful career for themselves. So it feels like that was that one moment where we weren't just offering advice that was regurgitated multiple times before, but actually focusing on something that the entire ecosystem has not been looking at carefully. So rather than rather than focusing on a large set of micro entrepreneurs who are never likely to grow, who are likely to be poor, how do you create a cadre of entrepreneurs that are actually likely to be successful?
1: Yeah, that's very interesting. I think that the dilemma that you said before about only giving advice rather than executing, it, it's something that also other consultancy firms have. So I was wondering, what do you think is the main difference uh, between a consultancy firm like Dalberg that is impact-focused and other big consultancy firms like McKinsey or BCG that are starting now entering the impact industry and are starting now trying to create an expertise and a practice on this. So do you think that they will catch up and they will be able to give the same type of services and projects that Dalberg is doing or are the two different markets?
0: I think the big difference, of course, is that we are focusing on a completely different set of problem statements and our our incentives are very, very different. So for example, Big Four or a McKinsey or a BCG would would look to answering some specific questions which are more concerned with the bottom line and profitability and revenue generation, et cetera. For us, it's always going to be are you creating impact for the kind of people that you're eventually trying to reach? And I recognize fully that these firms now have a social impact division, but there's also just fundamentally something different about the DNA of an organization. Like is it for us, our DNA is. How do you create impact on a day-to-day basis? And I don't know if for a firm that's also focusing on profitability on the one hand and social impact on the other hand, I don't know how they how these two translate seamlessly into, or rather feed seamlessly into one another, because there's some level of conflict that you will experience there. So in that sense the fact that our DNA is impact and that might not be true for other organizations, that makes us different. The other thing that would make us different is just how we do things it, A lot of our work is on the ground. We are engaging with the end stakeholder, the end beneficiary a lot more closely than what another firm would do. We also bring a very, very diverse set of experiences within our teams. These are not only serial consultants who've just been doing market research for a really long time, but it's also just people who've worked in human rights, people who've worked with an NGO on the ground for a few years. And the kind of diversity of thought that that brings to the table is unparalleled as well. So in those few respects, I would still think we are different.
1: And that's a very interesting point of view. And I think that you said it right. That's probably there's still a bit of conflict in the assignments that those big consulting firms are taking on. But I do think that probably, and I know if you agree with this, that we are actually going to a movement in which impact is getting more and more importance. Also also for the big corporation, also for what what were before only return-oriented organizations. What do you think a consultancy like Dalberg can actually do for big companies that want to focus more about impact? Is there any type of this corporation that actually came to Dalberg for a project about starting to measuring their impact and how would you help them?
0: First of all, I have not been a part of a lot of engagements where a big corporate is starting to look at its impact and the experience that I do have and I'm sure it's not representative is mostly firms with let's say a CSR function and starting to measure the impact of their CSR activities that's still something that I've seen but I think the part of the movement that's missing right now is on a on a day-to-day basis in your core business in your core function or what is apart from the bottom line, what is the impact that you're creating? I don't think there are a lot of companies out there that are thinking about that question carefully. Of course, because, and specifically in India, because of regulatory requirements, a lot of these corporations are investing in impact through CSR, but I'm not sure if those values are translating into their day-to-day work. I have not seen a very strong degree of appetite because it almost again it's the same as like a big consulting firm. There is a division which is focusing on revenue and and profit, and there's one that's looking at okay, how can we find a charity that we that we donate two percent of our profits to? And that convergence, to my mind, has not happened yet. But I do want to caveat facing that it's my experience might not be representative at all. There's certainly a greater degree of awareness, but I I don't know if that's translated into anything tangible.
2: I'm also curious, Aditi, about that awareness of impact in your own career. How has that interpretation of what impact means to you personally evolved over time?
0: When I, when I started out and when I was desperate to quit law and start to work in development, I think then to my mind, if you were just focusing on the right set of problem statements, if you were working with the right set of, People that would be sufficient and that's what I was keenest on doing this like I don't I, I don't care what my work translates into in the long term but as long as I'm doing something that appears meaningful to me uh, that's that's all that I am looking for and which is why I was grateful for the opportunity at Dalberg. so I said like, okay the this organization is looking at the Right set of questions. They're working with the right set of people. They are focusing on the right set of stakeholders, and this seems like a dream opportunity for me. And of course, over over a certain period of time, won't call it cynicism, but some degree of skepticism does start to set in because if you're a part of the sector, you also just want to believe that you're uh, that you actually are bringing change, and and maybe just focusing on the right problem statement is not is not sufficient all the time. So now I've started to just be more critical about the work that I'm doing on a a day-to-day basis. Like even if it's focusing on the right set of problems, what is it actually going to lead to? Could that money have been better invested elsewhere? I think those are the questions that I've started to grapple with. Those are fair questions to ask given where I am in my journey.
2: Yeah. And actually for the next segment, we wanted to discuss just that so we wanted to delve into what we are calling the key dilemma in the industry that you're in and as you very rightly said how is that money being spent so for a company like dalberg a lot of that money is coming through foundations or grants or government money and people do wonder is it better spent on the end beneficiary so for example instead of commissioning a report can a foundation actually give that in the form of medication or building a school or something and is that money better spent what are your thoughts on that argument?
0: Yeah, and I think that's a that's a great question. And what I've come to realize is that there's no standard answer to this. And you almost have to look at your work as a portfolio. There might be some part of your portfolio where you just, you see the client and you see the problem statement and you know that if you weren't here, these people would have Ended up investing a lot of money in something that was not going to be impactful. You've helped them streamline their operations, you've helped them make better use of their money. And those are the those are the parts of your portfolio where you're like, okay, you know, this is this is absolutely money well spent. Like Dalberg is an expensive organization, but but the kind of advice that you offered has actually help your immediate client, but also will have ripple effects in the future because you've helped an entire ecosystem understand where to invest their money and what to focus on. And that has been my experience, let's say, with with the Global Alliance of Mass Entrepreneurship and the Ministry of Skills Development, where we were helping them identify how to rationalize their operations. But then there are other parts of your portfolio where you don't have a clear answer. For example, like you said, somebody has undertaken a, a research report on a question that people have a fairly good grasp on uh, within the sector. And, and it makes you wonder if if it's worth uh, creating another research report or another knowledge product that nobody's going to read. And then there are some parts of the portfolio which might not even actually become a part of your portfolio because the ethical dilemma is just like in your face. For example, you're working for a corporation that's, that's not, let's say, functioning in a in an ethical manner in their day-to-day, but they're also just trying to do some impact work on the side. And, and that's where you're you still have a fairly clear understanding that yes, this is not work that I would like to engage on. But it's those middle ones where you where you start to feel uncertain because you don't know if your additional piece of research is going to be value additive or not. So I en- I end up basically taking a portfolio view because If I have done some work that did not appear meaningful, but was still uh, revenue generating, I can then use that to cross-subsidize work that is actually super meaningful. But let's say the client does not have the ability to pay and you do it pro bono. So it also just helps you do work that you would not have been able to do otherwise. And I guess which is it just becomes important to look at at all of this work in a more consolidated fashion rather than separate streams of work occasionally.
2: Yeah, I actually hadn't thought about it that way, which is, And it's a fascinating view. I guess my rebuttal would be if there is some kind of portfolio view happening in society in general and then Dalberg or an impact-focused consultancy is supposed to be balancing out what else is happening in the corporate world overall, do you think the mission-driven organizations should be more mission-bent?
0: Yeah, it's less a question of what should be and and more a question of what's feasible at this stage, at least at the stage of my career, I recognize that there always are trade-offs uh, to consider. And there's almost never a clear answer of this is good work and this is bad work because it's just, like I said, if, you, if you're if you just looking at that one piece of work in isolation, it's very hard to know uh, how it's going to affect other parts of your business or the kind of impact that you're uh, trying to create. So at least my approach to this is always considering trade-offs. If I were to do this work, what is the level of harm that I might be causing? Or could I use this work to generate something else that I really care about? Could this money have been spent better elsewhere? But if yes, then could I be that conduit for making better use of that money? So I think that there's just a lot of questions that you grapple with. And and that's my fundamental challenge with, with just being called mission driven or ideology driven, because in real terms it does not end up translating into that as as if you're also just trying to be financially sustainable or if you're trying to attract the kind of talent that that Dalberg does, I think there's just a lot of trade-offs to consider here. And which is I end up taking more of a consolidated perspective. And at the end of the day, am I somewhat satisfied with the work that I've done in aggregate?
1: Great. Thank you so much. As Last thing that we would like to ask is, do you have any advice for people that want to join Dalberg and want to start working for NIMPAT consultancy?
0: Most of all, walk in with your eyes open. Like, sure, we are a social impact organization, but we're also just working on a certain part of the value chain. and That part of the value chain is essentially delivering strategic advice or being a trusted advisor to a diverse set of stakeholders in in the ecosystem. What you're not going to be doing is actually implementing solutions on the ground and different things are meaningful to different people. For me, I get more satisfaction if I answer a problem statement in a way that I think is going to be useful for people to consider at scale. For others, it's going to be created in my day to day.
1: Thanks so much, Aditi. This this is incredibly inspiring. And I hope that many people that studied law and that would like to work for impact consulting are going to be able to be even more inspired by what you just said and what you just told us. And we wish for you to keep doing all of the impact projects that you are doing, because I do think that the world really needs it.
0: Thank you so much for having me. This was a very interesting conversation. And yes, I, I do hope that more and more of us are inspired to join social impact. If you enjoyed this
2: episode, please subscribe to the RISE podcast and consider leaving us a review. If you want to receive additional resources to enter the social impact sector, please sign up to our newsletter on riseproject.uk.